From the Rand Corporation to Rand Paul, a peek behind the curtain at the true origins of the Ukraine war. I'm Monica Perez, and this is today's Deep Dive. Let's take a deep dive off of this headline. Senate to vote on $40 billion Ukraine aid bill initially blocked by Rand Paul. So why do I even care about this? Because this we've talked about this before, this Ukraine aid bill, $40 billion. That's like 100 times what Trump was impeached over. I think it was a $400 million aid package that supposedly he was quid pro quoing away from Zelensky. This is 100 times that. And it's not getting any kind of discussion. It's as impeachable, I think, to push this through as it is to withhold foreign aid to a country that is not a legitimate ally of ours. There's no strategic benefit to having Ukraine as an ally. So you take this money, which is my tax money. I want it back. I want to do good things with it. I work hard. And it also takes that money. And I'd rather if they just burned it, but they use it for really bad things to escalate aggression, to foment injustice and corruption, to put us in danger of a war that we have no business being a part of. We are sending our troops over there. This thing is immoral. And I feel like it makes me want to be a tax protester, like stop working. So I stop paying taxes and at least withhold my money. But in any case, this is being enacted by our representatives. So it looks like we're consenting to this. And I, for one, am not. <laughs> so I was glad to see that Rand Paul was putting up some resistance and actually wasn't even that much resistance. He wanted an inspector general to oversee all this money. And because he asked for that, this thing didn't just get rubber stamped. It has to go through the regular process, which from what I understand, it's going to get voted on today. And I feel like it's going to probably breeze through, breeze through Congress. And I don't know why Rand Paul took that stand if it's a matter of principle. These politicians are often so curated. If they really do come from a stand of principle, I always thought Justin Amash, Amash, really, really did. And then I feel like somebody got to him and he had to clam up. So I think you either play the game or they take you out one way or another. But Rand Paul could be, it could be a matter of principle. It could be because he knows how corrupt it is over there. He's asking for someone to oversee the money. Uh, Or it could be because his primary is this week and he wants to signal concern for the taxpayer that he really cares about their dollars. His primary platform was really focused on inflation and the overspending at the federal level being a big cause of the inflation. And he is, I think his primary is yesterday. And he was slated to breeze through that by the time you hear this, that the votes will be in. He's also slated to breeze through his reelection, which in no- is in November. And he this is his third term. He would be getting his third term as the junior senator from Kentucky. And right now, it looks like he's going to breeze through that. You never know. Things are crazy in the elections these days. But his stated objections included saying that his oath is to the U.S. Constitution, not to a foreign nation. But he always throws in those caveats like everybody does, saying that he sympathizes with the Ukraine people and he did not specify (laughs) the people in the Donbass. He said that there was no excuse for this uh, aggression, invasion, military action from Russia. 
And I think there is. I think there there's a difference between pacifism and non-aggression. And I would say that this does not actually violate the NAP, the non-aggression principle. But Rand Paul, he skirts the Overton window, but he doesn't really go outside it. And the Overton window is the idea that there's a body of acceptable opinion, political opinion. And if you're within it, you can get plenty of people to get on board. They're not they don't recoil in horror. But if you're outside of it, you're going to lose everybody. There's nobody's going to vote for you. You're just not going to be able to function outside that. And I think Rand Paul does kind of probe the edges of that for whatever reason. But he's got to stay within it, I think, because it's almost a tautology. If he goes without it, he's not going to breeze through to re-election. So he also said that we can't spend money that we don't have, that it's a threat to our national security. And that's interesting because that goes to that MacArthur conversation I've referred to numerous times where in his old age, he sat down with JFK, who was in his youth, and told him that the only way a foreign invader could get the better of us was to undermine our economy. And to the extent that we're being bled dry, I feel like it is actually treason that this overspending is a way of undermining us on purpose. I just don't think a $30 trillion national debt can resolve (laughs) within this paradigm, as I've said before. So I think that there's something to that, but I don't think it's like we don't have enough money for defense. It's just that we're getting bled dry and we are getting third worlded. And if we're third worlded, we're not going to put up much of a resistance to anybody invading either physically or economically or in any other way. So I do think the national debt is a big problem. But Schumer, it's so funny. Like his his quote was that Paul Rand Paul is not is delaying this, but he's not stopping it. And that what he's doing is delaying aid desperately needed by a valiant people fighting against authoritarianism and defending democracy. I don't even have to listen to the clip of that to know that it is delivered in his flat, I'm reading this, can't wait to get home manner. But the words are so ridiculous. A valiant people fighting against authoritarianism and defending democracy. They had a democracy that was functioning, even though it was a terribly corrupt place, but the guy was actually going for the deal that was better for the people rather than the deal that Western pressure would have put upon him. I'm talking about Yanukovych when Victoria Nuland eight years ago orchestrated a coup against him. So we're not defending democracy. They say even now, even eight years later, that the elections that got Zelensky put in place were not valid, that people in Ukraine are just disgusted with the amount of corruption that is going on there, both with regard to the money and the the political processes. So that's all nonsense. Uh, more nonsense. The Ukraine's foreign ambassador to Austria tweeted that Paul's move amounted to a failure to defend Ukraine's liberty. A failure to defend Ukraine's liberty. I can barely get my mind around that one. Why on earth would it be up to us to defend the liberty, quote, of a sovereign nation? And what is the liberty of a sovereign nation? Is he talking about sovereignty? Is he talking about the liberty of the people? What does he mean by liberty? Liberty of the people to be ruled by some guy we put in there? <laughs> I mean, it's just so stupid. And it really pushes the the limits of how the word liberty is used and abused and has been for, I mean, at least 70 years. But 
the Democrats and Ukrainians are not the only people who are piling on. Mitch McConnell, who is the senior senator from Kentucky, actually went to Ukraine this weekend. I mean, Pelosi went not too long ago. He brought a bunch of or a group of Republican senators with him. John Barrasso of Wyoming, who is a member of the Foreign Relations Committee. John Cornyn of Texas, who is a member of the Intelligence Committee. Susan Collins of Maine, who sits on both the Intelligence Committee and the Appropriations Committee, which oversees government funding. So they're all over there. And you should see the picture. I tweeted it. They they're beaming and the Zelensky's shaking their hands with like a really stoic look on his face. I mean, he's such an actor. I, I think they might actually have been starstruck. <laughs> it's so, so anyway, what McConnell said, more just unreal platitudes. But this one actually goes somewhere. There's something to this. So listen to the words. He says that defending the principle of sovereignty promoting stability in Europe and imposing costs on Russia's naked aggression have a direct and vital bearing on America's national security and vital interests. So this idea of America, again, as if it's an entity, a a homogeneous entity, my interests are totally not aligned with Mitch McConnell's interests. Not at all. I don't have his friends. I don't have his cronies. He's taking my money and putting it where it'll work best for him or somebody he's afraid of or somebody he wants to do business with. I don't know. But don't talk about America's vital interests as having anything to do with me from his point of view. But he says defending the principle of sovereignty. No, we invaded their sovereignty. Promoting stability in Europe. No, this is seriously destabilizing Europe, just like we did in the Middle East. Uh, But imposing costs on Russia. Yes. Yes, that we are doing. And it's no coincidence. Just yesterday, I think maybe I got it from two people, Deep Fake Dissident and Where Did Dean Go, was a 2019 Rand Corporation study. Not very long. I put it in the show notes. I mean, it's really worth reading. I want to read you the introduction to this. And then I'm going to tell you the specifics, but you have to hear what they are actually saying that this is for the Rand Corporation. It says this brief summarizes a report that comprehensively examines nonviolent cost imposing options that the U.S. and its allies could pursue across economic, political and military areas to stress, to overextend and unbalance Russia's economy and armed forces and the regime's political standing at home and abroad. It says some of the options are more promising than others, and any would be evaluated in terms of the overall U.S. strategy for dealing with Russia, which neither this report nor the brief has attempted to do. So they're not talking about the strategy for dealing with Russia. It's just talking about options to overextend and unbalance Russia, which I guess is just a piece of the overall strategy. He goes on to say Russia remains a powerful country that still manages to be a U.S. peer competitor in a few key domains. Again, this idea that the United States is a is a, an, a, a living thing, an, a, an individual, 
an individual or, or even a corporation, a global corporation that's looking at a peer competitor. I understand how that works with statecraft, but in my view, the time when a country and its people had interests that were aligned is long gone. So when they're talking about a U.S. peer competitor, that I don't have any skin in that game. Whatever they're thinking of as the U.S. corporation isn't mine. They're exploiting me to promote that. They say recognizing some level of competition with Russia is inevitable. Rand researchers conducted a qualitative assessment of, quote, cost imposing options. That's exactly what Mitch McConnell referred to that could unbalance and overextend Russia. Such cost imposing options could place new burdens on Russia, ideally heavier burdens than would be imposed on the United States for pursuing those options. So they acknowledge that this is a burden to the United States and their goal is to make it worse for Russia. Well, who bears those burdens? Who bears the tax dollars? Who bears the risk? Who bears the blood? Our sons, our wallets, um, and our future and our kids. I mean, I'm not on a soapbox. I'm just saying like it's the, the costs are just nothing to them. They're totally insulated from this. Mitch McConnell is not suffering from the costs imposed on the U.S. So and it's actually very disturbing that they talk about this as if it's a global corporation and not a nation with values that has to weigh not only the costs, but the ethics of it. I mean, it's just not cool. So let me just read you a few of the tables that they put in there. They make their whole brief. It's very uh, extensive, but just for easy access, they put a few charts in there that show how likely it is to be successful in overextending Russia, the benefits to us of that policy and the cost and risks. So the things that are on the table are expand U.S. energy production, impose deeper trade and financial sanctions. Those seem like no brainers, according to their little chart. They also say they should increase Europe's ability to import liquefied natural gas from sources other than Russia. I'm sure they don't import liquefied natural gas from Russia. They get pipelines of actual gas. But I get the idea. That's something that's on their list also. Uh, And it says, and this doesn't look like it's going to work, but it's something they threw around, encourage emigration from Russia of skilled labor and well-educated youth. Now, actually, I take that back because I have a listener in a foreign country who immediately wrote that there was this influx of skilled labor and well-educated people coming from Russia into her country. That was so that's so weird because it doesn't look like it's on the top of their list here. Uh, And then the geopolitical cost imposing options, very clear that some of these things got implemented. Provide lethal aid to Ukraine, increase support to the Syrian rebels. That looks like it's on the B list. Promote liberalization in Belarus. So this was written in 2019, right on schedule. Expand ties in the South Caucasus, low on their list. Reduce Russian influence in Central Asia, low on their list. Those things because they are less likely to be successful. One of them is flipping Transnistria. I never even heard of Transnistria until a week or two ago. I think I thought it was Tartaria. (laughs) A questionable place. I don't know. But it might be there like a weapons stronghold of of Russia. I have to look into that one, but it's been popping up in the news the past month or two. And then they also have ideological and informational cost imposing options that they're tossing around 
for Ukraine. It says diminish faith in the Russian electoral system. Can you believe that? That's what they're doing to us. And I don't mean Russia. I mean, the same people who want to do it to Russia are doing it to us. And that's something that they think will undermine that country. That is that alone could be why they pushed all that voting is fake thing. True or not. So uh, they go on to propose creating the perception that the regime is not pursuing the public interest, encourage domestic protests and other nonviolent resistance. That's what they say, that Pussy Riot was a total CIA operation. And it says undermine Russia's image abroad. So that was just the first five pages of this 12 page document. The rest is about the military stuff. And I'm not going to get into that, but Boy, it's really, this thing is, <laughs> it's jam-packed and not like one of those 80-page things that takes forever to get through. They say the conclusion is the most promising options to extend Russia are those that directly address its vulnerabilities, anxieties, and strengths, exploiting areas of weakness while undermining Russia's current advantage advantages. In that regard, Russia's greatest vulnerability is its economy which is comparatively small and highly dependent on energy exports. It says uh, their greatest strengths are in the military and in information war. And they go on to summarize the most likely uh, avenues of success are their absolute two top strategies outside of the military field is expand U.S. energy production and impose deeper trade and financial sanctions. So it's clear they did that, but it's also clear they did a bunch of other stuff like increase Ukraine aid, destabilize Belarus. So this stuff is underway. It, it actually has a caveat at the beginning that says we encourage you to read this, but we recognize that Russia has been, it says we encourage you to read this Russian state media entities and individuals sympathetic to Putin's decision to invade Ukraine have mischaracterized this research in recent weeks. And then it goes on to tell you how to dig deeper into RAND resources, such as uh, the helpful resource they are providing on Russia's fire hose of falsehood approach to propaganda and their research on truth decay. It says this is a phenomenon that is driven in part by the spread of disinformation. So you can read this thing and conclude for yourself what it's all about, or you can read their debunking of Russia basically repeating exactly what you would think if you read this. We are trying to destable Russia. These are the ways that we're going to do it. And then it lists things that then have happened. So this was written three years ago, and we've seen those things happen. I think the uh, evidence is in. But draw your own conclusions. And this was huh, a lot of propaganda to get through, for sure. And I feel like I always want like a tonic to the propaganda. I like to balance it out. You can get overwhelmed and kind of blackpilled. And I have found that one thing that really kind of brings me back is any kind of creative endeavor. And I like I don't really like to then use a creative endeavor that's on the screens. I used to like to post to my blog, but too many screens. So as anyone who listens to me knows, I love to make bone broth. But like today or the other day, I made shrimps, shrimp and grits and I had a bunch of shells. So I made shrimp stock today and I'm going to make some gumbo. But my point is that 
the process of taking stuff that's kind of like waste, wasted and and creating something like unbelievably awesome with it has some kind of primal value, it feels like. And it's funny because like Nora Dead Ga- Gaudis, who writes the stuff on primal eating, she calls it primal eating. And I learned most of the stuff about broth and that kind of thing from her. But there is something so satisfying about creating a wholesome thing that calls back to our origins, maybe our pre-technology origins, maybe that's it. So anyway, I think that that kind of thing is good for the soul. So I highly recommend. Also, I have a couple of administrative notes for you. I am going to do these deep dives whenever I can. But when I can't, I want to post every day. I want to kind of just keep the conversation going. So if I do a guest spot, I'll put that up. Or maybe if I just have to do a quick dip, if I don't have time for a full deep dive or other content. And I think this week I'll probably put something up from a great show I did with Forbidden Knowledge News. It was really good. I love when people are fast paced. So that was awesome. So look forward to that one day this week. And also, oh, this is important. On Saturday, this Saturday, May 21st, I'm going to do a live stream with one of our listeners and supporters, Grant. You might know him from Locals. He is a survivalist and he has tips about bugging in, bugging out, uh, a lot of stuff like that. I was interested in some of the things he was telling me and I said, you know, let's just do a live stream and we can get people to ask questions and kind of connect on this. And I I can't answer the questions. I can ask the questions, but so could you. So if you want to tune into that, it's going to be Saturday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. I wanted to put it on my YouTube channel, but when I went to live stream it there, I found that I had another strike. If I get one more strike, my YouTube channel's gone forever. And I think it was from a Garland video that I had made private so nobody could see it. I just didn't want to erase it. So anyway, I went through and I erased everything. So I basically have a clean slate there. Hopefully they're saved somewhere on a hard drive somewhere. But uh, I had to let it all go. And I guess I will have salvaged my YouTube channel. But in the meanwhile, I'm not allowed to stream there. So I am going to stream on the Propaganda Report YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash Propaganda Report. But in the show notes here, I will put the actual link to the actual live stream video for that day and time, which is this Saturday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And uh, I think that's it. So... I am Monica Perez. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it on social media or with someone you think would also enjoy it. And feel free to tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. And hopefully I'll see you Saturday for that live stream.